Welcome to Gracefully Graying. I'm your host, attorney and co-founder of Gracefully Graying, Henry Gornbein. Today on Gracefully Graying, I'm pleased to welcome, really for a second interview, uh, the very talented writer and author, uh, editor of D Business Music Magazine, D Business Daisy, Daily News, Hustle and Muscle, and Detroit 500, and clearly a Renaissance man, R.J. King. R.J., welcome to Gracefully Grain. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Henry. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure having you. First of all, we did an interview when you wrote a book about the history of Detroit from 1700 to 1900, and I read it. I found it fascinating. I know you've read other books since then, and your latest one is Taboo, the inside story of how entrepreneur Nino Cotraro created some of the most celebrated nightclubs in America. So, RJ, what made you write about Nino and Taboo? Well, Nino was born in Sicily. He came here in 1975, uh, really a great representative of uh, the American dream. Um, you know, Sicily is a beautiful country, as is Italy. Um, and for some reason, when people, uh, either Europeans or Asians or South Americans, they come to uh, the United States and they just fall in love with it. I think mostly it's due to the freedom, the spirit of freedom, and just the opportunities that you have in this country to make a name for yourself take care of your family and help others. And Nino represents all of that. He, uh, as I mentioned, came here in 1975. You know, uh, was a hard worker, didn't have, have much in his money in his pocket, but he had family here. And through those connections, he opened up a nightclub with his uncle in the, the late 70s. It was more of a discotheque called Lenote, uh, so Clinton Township, Far East Side was a huge hit. It was just uh, another level that nobody had seen here in Metro Detroit at the time. I uh, was just a young boy at the time, so I uh, had to do a lot of research uh, to understand it. And then from there, um, you know, that went very well. And then uh, he uh, went out on his own in the 1985. He opened Taboo, um, which uh, would be a nightclub akin to uh, Detroit's version of Studio 54. So all the, you know, the latest in um, lighting and smoke machines and fog machines and lasers and uh, just over the top uh, audio. And it was a sunken dance floor. There was a huge, uh, fairly large uh, VIP room called the Champagne Room, which was three-tiered, and it had a glass front that overlooked the dance floor. So as you're dancing, you might see Aretha Franklin or Madonna, uh, Prince, uh, Robert Palmer, Joe Cocker, uh, Vanessa Williams. I mean, the stars that came through uh, were just uh, spectacular. And he uh, just kept going with uh, different clubs and different uh, that appealed to different genres. And today... Uh, Nino and his wife, Elizabeth, uh, they own Bella Piate in downtown Birmingham, right across the street from the Townsend Hotel and uh, also Mare Mediterranean, 
uh, over on the north end of downtown um, in the uh, side, you know, the first level of the Willits building. Um, so he's just totally in the restaurant business today, but still the stars come uh, to see him uh, and uh, especially Bella Piate has served as a draw. He, uh, he and his wife opened that in 2013. That's and a year later, uh, in walks Mark Wahlberg and uh, the whole cast of Transformers 4 and, and Transformers 5, as that was shot here as well, uh, would wind up in his restaurant every night. RJ, I was going to say that Bella Piata is one of my favorite restaurants. I mean, the service is impeccable. The food is delicious and the ambience is uh, with they have the veiled sections and it's just beautifully done and very well executed. And I know during the pandemic, we would eat outside and they were able to expand the area greatly. And I know they've cut back the outdoor season seating since the pandemic, but it looks like it's a very successful venture. Uh, yes, it is. It, um, and that's all described in the book. Uh, the book's 126 pages. It's all color inside. Um, all the pictures that you would ever want to kind of think would be in a book like this, we, we were able to get them. Nino had most of them. Uh, we purchased some of the uh, images from Linda Solomon uh, as a local photojournalist. And uh, she was great friends with Aretha Franklin. And then uh, Getty Images as well. Um, but most of them were from Nino's uh, private collection and it really made the book work. And it's his life story as well. So there's a lot of lessons there in terms of, um, you know, how to, you know, be an owner of a business like that, especially in the fast paced entertainment industry. Um, but also how do you keep it going? How do you keep it interesting? And uh, at the same time, you know, raise a family, um, and, and not get caught up in the whole lifestyle of that entertainment uh, sector and um, just really come out the other end as the same guy that he went in. It's just incredibly amazing to me. Uh, night after night after night with all those stars and all the people and the fans and, you know, Detroiters are, are we're, we're just such a, you know, a wonderful group of people that are so appreciative of the arts and, uh, Boy, he, he just did it in style. I, I really uh, take my hat off to him. Well, how many years did Taboo last? I mean, it's like it was a certain era and then it's come and it's gone. Sure. Well, it opened in 1985 on Woodbridge Street. Uh, so the old warehouse district. So roughly halfway between the Renaissance Center and Stroh River Place and between Jefferson Avenue and the river and uh, went from 85 to 95. Uh, it was around 10,000 square feet. Uh, he had a beautiful uh, outdoor patio uh, that would get even, even more fans in. And on most nights, it very much was like Studio 54 where there was a big line on for, out front. And uh, you had to wait, you know, you simply had to wait. And, and people did in those days, um, Henry, uh, and I forget myself, but you uh, you have no internet. Uh, you know, you have radio. You have you know two four seven TV. And we were fortunately to get uh, an extra channel because we live close to Canada, Channel Nine. 
Um, so you really, uh, going out was a major thing and people would dress to the nines. Uh, the gentlemen would be in three piece suits with ties, uh, for the most part. And the ladies were dressed to the nines. And if you weren't dressed up, people wondered what was going on with you. And it would be better if you didn't go out and didn't dress up. So, um, and, uh, so, you know, taboo was that upper echelon club that, that nobody had. And, uh, the stars that came to town, they always, you know, once they finished their concerts, whether at Cobo Hall or Joe Louis Arena, Masonic, Fox Theater, and even Pine Knob, uh, they would come after their shows. Uh, the Taboo had such a mystique and a name that had been built up, and it had all the requisite needs of what a star would want in terms of um, the ability to go out on the dance floor, but also have an intimate experience with their with their entourage and um, and meet new people and, and maybe meet another star or two that uh, they didn't know about. So lots and lots of um, relationships were uh, built at uh, Taboo. And, uh, you know, it was just a special moment in time in Detroit. Sounds like it. And uh, now he had another venture for a while, and that was Intermezzo. And I remember going there, especially if we had an event at the Detroit Opera House or the Music Hall. It was right around the corner, literally almost attached to the Detroit Opera House. And again, that was there for a while. And now it's, I think that's the location of a buddy's pizza, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, you're right. Uh, well, Intermezzo is now becoming a uh, steak and fish restaurant. Uh, by a former NBA player, uh, which was supposed to open up um, any day now. But Intermezzo opened up in uh, late 1995. The Opera House reopened in April of 1996 uh, with an opening concert by Luciano Pavarotti. Uh, he did come to Intermezzo. Uh, Nino and him were very good friends. Uh, he would stay at the Anthonyum Hotel. Uh, Nick Opone, who was the chef at uh, Intermezzo, would uh, get his meals over there every night. Um, and all the others, you know, Intermezzo was really the restaurant that started Detroit's renaissance. Um, there really wasn't a cool spot. It was a hip, sort of lofty um, urban scene that restaurant that Detroiters had not seen before. You know, the huge glass panels, uh, you know, windows out front, um, 10 foot ceilings, murals, and artwork on the walls. It had a neighboring uh, bar that um, one night um, was the setting for a chance meeting of uh, Prince and Stevie Wonder. And the two of them with the uh, musicians that were there on hand, uh, had a mini concert that, uh, you know, again, the, the days before the internet, um, some cell phones, some pagers, but uh, quickly a large crowd gathered out front. And, um, you know, just lots and lots of uh, examples of stars that would come to Intermezzo and such as yourself that would go to Intermezzo and then go see the brand new opera house and that really, again, I can't emphasize enough, 
that really did kick off Detroit's renaissance. Um, and today when, you know, I uh, meet visitors from out of town all over the world, they're, they're just blown away by de what downtown Detroit has become. Uh, it, it's truly is amazing. It really is. I mean, we're, we're clearly going through a renaissance here in Detroit and the fact that they uh, doing so much downtown and it's, it, it's really wonderful. It really is. Now we talked about several restaurants. His latest is uh, Mare Mediterranean. And can you tell us a little bit about that and your experience with that, RJ? Oh, well, Mare Mediterranean. Um, Mare is, uh, translates from Italian as the sea. Uh, so they, uh, have a, quite a nice selection of fish from uh, the Mediterranean, um, fish from other parts of the world. They'll prepare them in different ways for you, um, including um, sort of a salt, salt um, crust to them that they break open at your table. Um, and a very nice menu, uh, very sort of like, I would guess a modern cosmopolitan sort of look inside, very, very bright. Um, there's a nice, uh, private room off the bar for um, more, you know, after dinner or uh, evening entertainment um, opportunities and uh, just draws a nice, wonderful crowd there. And uh, Nino uh, and his wife, Elizabeth, co-own that with um, Jay Feldman, who owns, uh, I, he is the largest, uh, he owns quite a number of dealerships, but he's the largest uh, Chevrolet dealership in, in Michigan. Right, the Feldman Automotive Group. Yes. Now, what about, I mean, I don't know how he does it. I mean, you show many pictures of him with celebrities, of his beautiful family, and the various restaurants he's been involved in, in Taboo, which I have in front of me, and the cover has a picture of various artists, including... Madonna, and uh, it's, it's really a lovely little book, and I enjoyed reading it, RJ. And, you know, very different than your book on the history of Detroit, quite frankly, which was much more of a deeper read and historical from a different standpoint. But uh, he's also very successful in the construction business. I don't know. How, he doesn't sleep, obviously, but tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Yeah, he gets up pretty early. Uh, once in a while, I, I'll wake up and uh, a call has come in already. Um, but yeah, in uh, his uncle owned a uh, road construction business. And so Nino, uh, even when he was in Italy and when he came here, he um, took lots and lots of classes on how to read blueprints and uh, engineering drawings and understanding mechanical systems, uh, electrical and plumbing, water and sewer, and uh, really, you know, has uh, got a very thriving construction business, uh, largely residential, uh, but he can do commercial, of course, uh, does his own uh, for his restaurants and for the clubs that he did. And um, I, I think the, the best way to sum up Nino is that he had these three major phases in his life in terms of entertainment. Uh, Taboo, which, uh, you know, Lenote and Taboo kind of drew that 70s, 80s crowd of entertainers. 
that I mentioned, uh, you know, Sheila E and uh, the Robert Palmers and um, on and on it goes. And in late eighties in downtown Royal Oak, he opened up a restaurant uh, called Metropolitan Music Cafe. And uh, that was the local version of a hard rock cafe and nobody had ever seen that in our region. It was a huge hit and it served to draw sort of the second wave of entertainers, uh, the rock and roll stars. Uh, largely during the summer, Nina would have a Michigan Walk of Fame and um, charities, uh, multiple uh, dystrophy, uh, excuse me, yeah, the multiple dystrophy uh, organization was one of the major benefactors. And, uh, you know, he would charge a cover at the door and donate that and, and other things and uh, involve a radio station, sometimes a TV station. Um, so he got all the rock and roll stars. So, you know, you think in David Bowie and Iggy Pop and NXS and Kiss and on and on it went with those entertainers. And then when he opened it, Intermezzo, it was that third wave of the Hollywood people so I mentioned Mark Wahlberg, but Michael Bay, the director of uh, the Transformers series, uh, Stanley Tucci, who's just an amazing uh, talent. Uh, and I've met all five of the Wahlberg brothers because of Nino. And he's very charitable. Um, he uh, co-founded a, a charity golf tournament the Monday before Labor Day every year now uh, at the Detroit Golf Club with Mark Wahlberg. And they benefit uh, Beaumont Children's uh, there in Royal Oak. And um, every foursome is paired with, uh, with a star and uh, quite a bit of money with a live auction uh, is donated to uh, Beaumont Children's. So uh, just an incredibly endearing story of giving back. And, you know, Henry, as I always say, the secret to life can be summed up in two words. And that's add value. And, and that's what Nino does. It sure sounds like that. And he sounds like a wonderful individual. And I really look forward to meeting and interviewing him in the future. I would like to ask you, what would you want a reader to take away from your book, Taboo? Well, I think one is uh, take a chance, um, follow your dreams. And once you follow your dreams, stay on point. Uh, I can't stress enough how the entertainment industry can pull you in so many different ways. Um, you know, in terms, you know, one drink could lead to two drinks, lead to three drinks, or, you know, uh, Nino never got into that or the drug scene or any of that. Uh, just a solid family man. So just to stay on target and, you know, keep in your lane, so to speak, um, that drives a lot of success. Uh, you got to be there pretty much every night to make sure everything's being run properly and, and to greet the guests. Uh, I think that's a great secret in the uh, hospitality business, whether it's restaurants or hotels. Um, and I think also, you know, just being a nice person. Um, some people just get overwhelmed sometimes. You know, you're right. I mean, you, you really captured it. I'd like to now transist to talk a little bit about you. And you are the editor of the Business Magazine and the Business Daily News. Tell us a little bit about that and how you became involved in that, RJ. 
Well, I um, grew up here in, um, well, literally Bloomfield Village. And uh, my dad was hired by Ford Motor Company to bring forward the HAC tape player in 1965, which he did uh, in um, a very successful program. So got to lead, meet a lot of executives uh, when we were kids and uh, was able to write my way through school. I wasn't terribly good at math or science, and uh, but I could write. And uh, I started freelancing in college uh, with the local papers like the Observer and Eccentric and the Royal Oak Tribune, Macomb Daily, and other uh, newspapers and uh, magazines. And uh, by the time I graduated uh, from U of M Dearborn, in uh, 1990 with a English degree. Um, I was very fortunate and got on the business staff of the Detroit News and stayed there for 16 years. And uh, right after the Super Bowl came here in 06, um, through a volunteer effort, I uh, met someone that worked for Our Detroit and uh, the two owners, uh, Stefan Wanjik and John Bellardo, were looking to start up a business magazine and I saw that as a very interesting prospect uh, so we uh, came together and I became the editor of D Business um, and uh, so we launched that in September of 06 so now we're into year 17 and um, along the way uh, in addition to the magazine we launched uh, D Business Daily News which is a daily uh, e-newsletter comes to your email about one o'clock each day, uh, Monday through Friday, with six different uh, business stories from our region, uh, including one story every day that's uh, a bunch of business uh, briefs and updates, and um, typically party picks um, as the seventh item, and or a spotlight on a charitable organization, which we call the Give, Give Detroit Spotlight. And then we launched uh, an annual publication uh, six years ago called Detroit 500, which is the um, uh, 500 top business leaders in Metro Detroit, some around Michigan, but mostly in Metro Detroit. And all um, organized, all the names are organized alphabetically by category. So we start with accounting and through banking and finance and um, education and, uh, you know, into real estate and uh, venture capital. And then we have uh, lots of lists in there of the top hotels, the top host hospitals, um, and the top engineering firms, the top construction companies. And then earlier this year, um, we put our toe in the water with a new Monday newsletter called Hustle and Muscle. And oh, yeah. yeah, Hustle and Muscle, I saw that, um, you know, either I would go and meet with the startups or sometimes these startup events. And at the same time, you would go meet with venture capital uh, operations and private equity firms and family funds and angel investors. And you could just see there was a kind of a disconnect between the two. And uh, so hustle and muscle, obviously the hustle is the startup side and the muscle is all of these um, uh, investment organizations in Michigan. And um, so we spotlight uh, a startup each week. And then we have four stories about either more startups or 
new investment rounds for different uh, businesses. And it's really, uh, it's all free. And it's really uh, a vehicle, if you will, to pair the um, investment with the need. And uh, we've been growing that slowly but surely. And uh, it, it's really become a nice product. And we're, um, you know, it takes a little time to build a brand like that. But sure. uh, we've got it all trademarked and everything. And uh, if people go on there and if people go to dbusiness.com, there in the toolbar, you'll see hustle and muscle. And uh, we list uh, both sides, the muscle side, we have a I think the best uh, and most comprehensive comprehensive list of all the venture capital firms in Michigan, uh, the private equity firms, the family funds, the angel investors, the economic development organizations, and the asset banking organizations. So uh, it's a great list. Uh, it's all available for free, and uh, you know that's our mission is to do our part any way we can to help grow Michigan's economy and shine a spotlight on it. Um, and both the magazine, uh, through a nice relationship we have with, uh, the airport, um, and the skyline clubs, um, and with the internet being international, um, we can reach all over the world. And, uh, we really are trying to, uh, build up that at the end of the day is to help these startups grow their businesses. Sounds great. It really does. I mean, you're do, doing a lot of amazing things. Uh, I'm curious, and this is going back to Detroit. You wrote about the first 200 years. Uh, are you considering going back to Detroit because there's so much that's happened since 1900 through the present, especially you've got a th really a, it was the, one of the major industrial powerhouses that went through some horribly lean times and now it's going through a renaissance. I don't know. Is that another book that you might be considering? Oh, Henry, you're, you're very perceptive. Uh, yes, I wrote Detroit Engine of America um, because frankly, there was uh, just a huge gap in Detroit's history. Uh, before the auto industry started in 1900, there was 200 years of history here that was largely unknown. Um, so the book uh, describes how uh, the French arrived on July 24th, 1701, uh, about 100 men, led by uh, Antoine de la Mouth Cadillac. Um, and they quickly built a fort uh, to uh, prepare for the winter. And uh, two days later, uh, July 26th, they uh, founded St. Ian's Church. And uh, that's, as you know, um, the seventh iteration is right by the Ambassador Bridge. And then two days after that, on July, July 28th, uh, they opened the first tavern because uh, you had to have, uh, for the men, uh, again, there's not a lot to do. Um, so drinking was, um, you know, a, an acceptable form of entertainment. Sure. Uh, a needed form of entertainment. And then it just, the book walks you through how the city was built up to 1900. So to become the birthplace of the auto industry. And we were the largest uh, manufacturing economy, the first manufacturing economy in the world. Uh, we had to be self-sufficient. We were 600 miles from the East Coast. Thankfully, we were blessed with uh, lots and lots of natural resources. 
and sitting on um, the Detroit River uh, freshwater basin, just uh, just an amazing place. And then now that uh, explorers found minerals like co copper and iron uh, and magnesium and all those things up north, uh, they were able to quickly bring them down by ship. Um, and so, you know, shipping uh, waterways were the main form of transportation. Uh, the three main industries uh, that uh, sustained the uh, Detroit settlers were fishing, farming, and hunting. And then in the 1750s, we got pretty advanced in shipbuilding. Uh, and then we started building hearths, and uh, those became stoves. We became the stove capital of the world. We started building marine engines in the 1850s. Uh, lots and lots of risk takers uh, came here um, and they still come here uh, because we can still build anything in the world and at scale, at spec, uh, just an amazing uh, richness of manufacturing talent here, uh, complemented by all those uh, wonderful natural resources. It's amazing. RJ, uh, we're running beyond normal time. So are there some quick final thoughts before we sign off? Well, I would just say that um, I hope people appreciate uh, Detroit uh, more so than they do. I know we sometimes get a bad rap, but um, if you really take a little time, you'll appreciate what makes Detroiters uh, so vibrant, so generous, um, so tight knit, and just the depth of businesses in countries that are represented here. You can get quickly, so to speak, all over the world just with a phone call with somebody from, you know, the uh, Malta Chamber of Commerce or the French American Chamber of Commerce or the Asian Pacific American Chamber of Commerce. And all those chambers are pretty much the largest of their kind in the United States. Uh, and a purely just a great uh, benevolence here too of the charitable organizations like the American Heart Association, American Lung, among the best and largest chapters in the country as well. So there's a lot of wealth here and just a lot of history and uh, it's just a great place to live. I agree. Uh, we're out of time. RJ King, it's been a pleasure spending some time with you. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank you for being our guest on Gracefully Grain. I want to thank our viewers for watching Gracefully Grain. Of course, I want to thank our sponsors for helping Gracefully Grain be available to as many people as possible. Thank you again, RJ. I appreciate your coming on. And again, your talent is wonderful in the writing areas. Mm -hmm.